Man, it's great to see y'all this morning. It's great to start a new year with you. I appreciate last week, uh, Alan preached for me last Sunday. Um, it's, it's good, I don't know, as a pastor, I love preaching, but I love also knowing that when I'm not there, you're still gonna hear the word, you're still gonna get challenged. And, and Alan did a great job of that in talking about our responsibility to reach others with his love. Um, last week, my family and I did absolutely nothing. Now, of course, there's tons of pollen in the air, so we both got sinus infections, but still, you know, oftentimes after Christmas, we'll go out of town for a couple of days, but this year it's been such a busy year, we just said, let's, let's just do nothing. And isn't it funny? I heard a comedian say this some years ago, and I've never forgotten it. When you're a kid, if somebody asks you, what'd you do last week? If you say, man, we didn't do anything. It's terrible. But as an adult, you go, I... I didn't do anything. It was wonderful because that's what you need and that's exactly what we needed. Now I'm glad to be back, glad to be standing here before you. I, I appreciate the songs Nathan led us in this morning. You know, we're talking today about our vision for the future, but there's a real arrogance in that and I wanna be careful to make sure you understand what I'm saying and that is I don't know what's gonna happen in 2022 to this church, to me, to you. Only God knows that. So I can talk to you about plans for the future all I want. I can't bring those about, only God can. So what we sang this morning, when we sang about how there's nothing that our God can't do, when we sang about how our, our, our hope is built on this amazing grace of Jesus Christ, it's very important for us to remember there's one thing we can count on and that is him, right? Nothing else is certain, but he is certain. He will continue to be exactly who we need him to be and we can trust in him because our hope is built on him. We're founded on what is good, what is true, what won't let us down. So with all that said, we're gonna start today with Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Very monumental passage of scripture. You've, if you've grown up in church, if you've read the Bible, you know this story. The reason we're starting here today is because I want us to begin this year by talking about what the church really is supposed to be. Why does the church even exist? And I don't just mean First Baptist Conroe, I mean the church, capital C. Why is there such a thing as the church? So at this point in Matthew, this is like a lot of the stories of the New Testament, Jesus knows what's about to happen, but the disciples don't. Kind of a familiar refrain. They rarely knew what was going on. In their minds, everything, the story was gonna end with Jesus on a throne in the center of Jerusalem and all the people of God who'd been scattered. I mean, the Jews had been living in all different countries of the world for hundreds of years. Well, they were all gonna come back to Jerusalem. They were all gonna gather around their Messiah. He was gonna be their king. The enemies of God would kneel before them and they would have a new golden age. But Jesus knew that the story didn't end with him on a crown on a throne, it ended with him on a cross. He knew that he was headed for Jerusalem to die for our sins and for theirs. He knew that death would buy us victory, would, would win us salvation. That's what was coming. And so along the way, he kept checking in with them. He kept trying to help them understand what's coming. And this is one of those moments, Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now again, this is a very monumental story in the scriptures. You've probably heard sermons on this before, but before I talk about our own church and where we fit into this scheme, uh, this, this whole plan, I want to talk about three things Jesus said, all right? First of all, he said, upon this rock, upon this rock. The word rock in Aramaic, the, G, the language Jesus spoke was kepha. In Greek, the language the New Testament's printed in is petros. Now, he's referring to Peter. A lot of us know this, but in case you don't, Peter's given name was Simon. His parents called him Simon, very uh, traditional, patriotic Jewish name at the time. And then Jesus comes along and points to him and says, your name's gonna be Rock. Now, this is 2,000 years before Dwayne Johnson, right? There are, there's no one named Rock back then. This is not even a name. Jesus gives him the name of an inanimate object as if to say, you are the foundation stone. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna build on Peter. Now, don't wanna cause any fights here because whether you are a Roman Catholic or Baptist or anything else, we're worshiping the same Jesus Christ and we're gonna live in the same heaven for all eternity, so no reason to fight, but I have to address the elephant in the room. For 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has believed this is the point at which Jesus declared Peter the first pope, the infallible, unquestioned leader of the church. And I believe that's not what Jesus is saying here. Let me share, you, let me share with you why. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church, he's talking about a human being. And as we go forth into the gospel and into the book of Acts, we see Peter as one of the leaders of the church, definitely, absolutely. One of the 12 apostles who led the early church and the loudest and the most bold, so he gets most of the print, yes. But the early church doesn't treat him as an unquestioned, infallible leader. They often question him. They often criticize him. In fact, in Galatians 2, Paul calls him out on one of his sins and Peter says, you're right, I'm wrong, I repent. So if Jesus was declaring Peter in Matthew 16, the infallible, infallible unquestioned leader, then the church didn't get the message. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying, Peter, you're the one. You're, you're, what you're showing me is what I need. I need a hundred just like you and I'll conquer the world. I need that kind of faith, that kind of boldness, that kind of zeal, that kind of diligence upon this rock. And the next thing I want you to see is the words, my church. Now we use the word church all the time, right? We use it in a variety of different ways. You, if you're driving through downtown Conroe and you've got somebody in your car that's not a member of our church, you probably point and go, hey, look, there's my church over there talking about a building, Right? Or we'll say, you know, at 11.15 on Sunday mornings, I go to church, talking about an event. Or you may even say, I'm part of a, a Baptist church, talking about an institution. But before Jesus said this sentence, no one had ever said, my church. That word didn't exist. Notice, he doesn't use the word synagogue, because those existed back then. For hundreds of years, the Jews had gathered, ever since the first temple was destroyed, Jews had gathered in little village gatherings that they called synagogues. Jesus doesn't use that term. He uses actually a term that in Greek is pronounced ekklesia. Now, it's an ancient Greek word. Back in the ancient Greek 
towns, every town had its own city government. And the way the city government worked was, if you were a male and you were free, you were a citizen. And a citizen voted in the town meetings. So if there was a big decision to be made, the Spartans are invading and we've gotta gather an army or we've gotta figure out how to build a new city hall or whatever the case may be, you would have a, a meeting of all the citizens. In fact, some city, cities would send out slaves with red ropes to literally drag guys out of the marketplace and like, no, 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 you need to stop and come to this meeting right now. And the reason for the red was you'd get there and there was red on your clothes and people would be like, oh, I see, you know, Demetrius here had to be dragged to the meeting. But the, the whole thing is the word ecclesia means those who are called out, those who are called to gather. So Jesus takes that term from ancient Greece and he says, I'm forming a new gathering. I'm calling out a new group of people, which had to be really surprising to the disciples because again, they thought the story ended with Jesus on a throne. Jesus is saying, no, the story ends with me gathering a group of people around me and sending them out. And the other surprising thing about the story is, or about what Jesus said is, they were probably thinking, Lord, why do you have to gather a new group of people? You've already got Israel. I mean, you're the Messiah. We're your people. Just tell us what to do. Jesus is like, no, it's not Israel. It's my new people. Some of them are gonna be from Israel. Some of them are not, but this is the new people, the, the, the church. That's where the church, the word church comes from. And then the third one is when he says the keys to the kingdom. Anybody here remember when you were 16 and your dad first gave you the keys to the car and said, okay, take it for a spin. That's a really empowering moment in your life, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I am giving you the keys of the kingdom of God. The church will have those keys. What are those keys? It's the gospel. It's the story of salvation. Jesus is saying, by the time I'm done here, you're gonna have a story to tell and it'll be the greatest story that's ever been told. And when you tell this story, people will get set free. Chains will fall off. Lives will be transformed. You will see miracles happen. Someone will be one way one day and the next day there'll be something completely different because of this story that you're going to tell. That's the keys of the kingdom. And when you put all of that together, what you realize is that it really isn't correct to point to this building and say, that's my church, or to say, I go to church on Sunday mornings, or to say, I'm part of a church. You see, a church is not really an event or a building or an institution. A church is the people of God called out of the world to gather together and to change the world with the keys of the kingdom. The church, the church is God's plan A for fixing this world. And there's no plan B. You read the scriptures and you see if God's gonna do something in this world, he's not gonna send an army of angels to do it. He's not gonna resurrect old prophets of old who show up and, and, and walk around doing the work. No, he's gonna, he's gonna use us, the people of God. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, whatever, charismatic, you name it, but he's gonna use us to do his work. Now that sounds like kind of a crazy plan and it especially did back then. Keep in mind, this is at the height of the power of the Roman Empire. And if you and I had been alive back then, we would have said the Roman Empire will never die. Little do we know in 400 years, it would be history, literally. Whereas this movement that Jesus started, which at the time was just a few ragtag, uneducated, usually cowardly followers, and this is a man who was literally born in a cattle trough, who never commanded an army, never held a public office, never wrote a book, who when he died only had 500 followers behind him. 
And yet today, he's the most revered person in human history, and there's not even a close second. Two billion, with a B, people consider him divine today, not to mention the millions upon millions who have worshipped him in the 2,000 years since he lived. And you think about it, this doesn't get a lot of press, but it's true. Most of the things we love about life today, most of what we consider basic human rights, came because of the influence of the movement he started called the church. Things like universal literacy, like higher education, modern medicine, care for the poor, the rights of women, uh, the value of childhood, the things that we consider basic human rights had never been heard of before the church came along. Science, hospitals, orphanages, universities, the church started all of those, and I could go on and on. There are millions of people alive today who live better lives, who who aren't even believers in Jesus, and yet their lives are blessed because he existed. Let's just give you one example. There was a a sociologist named Robert Woodbury. Uh, Some of you are gonna wanna look this up because it's really interesting. Robert Woodbury is a sociologist who was trying to figure out what makes the difference between a healthy nation and an unhealthy nation. And so he specifically looked at what we call developing nations. And he said, okay, some of these countries, even though they have the same geography, the same demographics, et cetera, as these other countries, they have better infrastructure and and healthier, more stable government and more human rights. Well, what makes the difference between the healthy ones and the unhealthy ones? And what he discovered was the healthy nations were the ones who, if you go back 100, 200 years earlier, they had a significant impact from soul-winning missionaries soul-winning missionaries, not just aid workers, not just the Salvation Army and groups like that. I mean people who went and preached the gospel. If the gospel was preached in your country on a widespread level and people came to know Christ, then your country today is healthier than otherwise. And if that guy's right, if Robert Woodbury is right, then no organization, philosophy, or movement in history has had the impact for good that the church has had. And if Jesus is right, it's way bigger than that. Because if Jesus is right, it's not just healthier governments and better living, it's souls in the presence of Almighty God in glory forever. Millions upon millions of people saved because of the influence, because of the witness of the group that he started called the church. That's why the church matters. That's why it's not just something we do on Sunday mornings. It's God's plan A to to change the world and it's working. Now, you might say, okay, that sounds good, Jeff. Great commercial for the church, but I don't feel like it's working because right now we're in America and it feels like the church is sort of on its way out, right? I mean, can we agree that these are discouraging days to be a Christian in America? For at least 10 years, we've been reading articles about how all our young people are growing up and graduating high school and walking away from organized Christianity and they don't want anything to do with it. I, don't, I think some of that's a little overblown, but still, it, I know it happens. I know there are people who are deconstructing their faith. I know there are people who are walking away and they give a variety of reasons. There are too many hypocrites. Churches are too hateful. I went to church to learn about God, instead heard a political sermon. This is not what I came for. On the other hand, a lot of older folks are getting discouraged too. I talk to older Christians who tell me, I just don't understand. Church doesn't feel like church anymore. It feels like everything's geared toward people who are 40 years younger than me and I don't even matter anymore. And and then on top of that, sad to say, there are thousands of people who feel burned by the church. Some of them literally have been victims of abuse at the hands of Christians. 
Some of them uh, have experienced pettiness and, and clickishness and burnout and gossip and all kinds of ugliness. In church, the last place in the world they should have to experience things like that. You talk to other people and they, they talk to you about how life is just so hectic right now and, and Sunday's the only time I have off and between youth sports and trips to see grandma and things I gotta get done around my house, that's not even a day off. And, and so how can I possibly give one hour of my time on Sunday mornings? And by the way, you may not know this, but we're two years into a pandemic. Have you, has anybody informed you? And so a lot of folks have gotten to where, okay, I just don't go out in public much anymore. And I've gotten used to being able to watch church on a screen, if I watch it at all. And, and let's, let's just face it, some of us are old enough to remember when there was a social pressure to be part of a church. Some of us remember that there was a time in this country when if you wanted to be seen as a solid citizen, you know, somebody that uh, your kids would be allowed to date their kids and you'd be, you'd be elected to city council or whatever, well, you had to be part of a church. That was part of being a good person. And now it's sort of the opposite. Now, when you talk to your friends on a Saturday night, you're like, oh, I gotta get going because we got church in the morning. They're like, what? You, you go to church? I mean, none of the beautiful, smart, talented people on TV are part of this, so why would we be? And then the famous Christians we know, they keep putting their foot in their mouths and stumbling into scandal after scandal. So does church even matter anymore? That's what we're focusing on here at the beginning of this new year. Next week, I'm gonna begin a series called Why Church? And we're gonna look at what Jesus actually said as he was establishing this thing we call church. Why did he do it? And why not just give us salvation and walk away? Why create this group, this organization, this body of people? What is it all about? And, and not just what is it all about, not just what is it for, but what should each of one of us be doing in order to make this little church, this particular outpost of God's kingdom, everything that it should be. But before we move forward, I'm gonna talk about where we're, how we're doing as an individual church, but let me just say one more thing about capital C Church, right? We think of spiritual growth in very individual terms. At least I do. I grew up Baptist, and so when I first got saved, they handed me a, a little uh, brochure that told me how to have a quiet time. Yeah, so you wake up every morning, you say your prayers, you read your Bible. And that's a habit that got started early for me and it's been good and hopefully you do it too. If you're, if you're not aware of this, I send out a daily email, six days out of seven. I send out a, a devotional, uh, it's called First Moments. You can sign up for it. All this last week on the First Moments email, I've been talking to you about, yeah, make sure you've got a plan to read the Bible this year, a plan to pray, a plan to repent, a plan to invest in others. I stand by that. But if you listen to guys like me too long, you start to get the impression that growth in Christ is an individual thing. It's sort of like uh, you know, being a mountain man. You go up into the hills and you, you, you make your own way. But there's no trace of that in the New Testament. If you read the New Testament, which by the way, I highly recommend, if you read the New Testament, you see that the only way we grow and become all we were created to be in Christ is through involvement in a local body of believers. That's how we grow. So, how are we doing? At First Baptist Conroe, how are we doing? I have to tell you, I've been doing this full-time pastoring for 25 years now, and this was my best year. I'm happy to tell you, it was the best year I've ever had. And none of my years have been bad, but this one topped them all. Just 
Just a few numbers. Numbers don't tell the whole story, but numbers are important. By my count, uh, we added 111 new members to this church in 2021. 111 people said, I want to commit myself to this church. This is where I'm gonna use my gifts, where I'm gonna grow in Christ, where I'm gonna bear one another's burdens. That's exciting. 24 of them were by baptism. It, it, got to be, it got to be just, there was some momentum to it to where from summer on, every Sunday in one of our three services, I knew somebody was gonna join. And it's already happened this morning. Somebody, to, a couple in our early services joined. That's exciting. And, and I've never been part of a church where God was bringing so many people to the family at one time. It's not because of anything I'm doing or anything y'all are doing. It's just God has chosen in his sovereignty and his providence. He's gonna add to this family right now. And that means we have a responsibility. That means we have to look at the folks God's bringing and say, okay, they belong to us. We should love them. We need to make sure they find their place. Speaking of three services, by the way, that was new this year. And that took a lot of sacrifice from a lot of people in this room. And I thank you for that. And the reason we do that is because our community, we're living in a community right now that is growing population-wise by leaps and bounds. And I think it's our responsibility as a church to make sure we have room for everybody God's gonna bring to us. And so three services is what we think we have to do. And I think this last year has been validation of that decision. We're gonna keep on doing that until three services fill up and then we'll figure out something else. But thank you for that. Financially, it was a wonderful year. I don't know who gives around here. I'm not privy to that information, but whoever gives gave well. Y'all gave generously and I thank you for it. We were able to more than meet our ministry obligations. In fact, we had such a surplus. We were able to give more to missions than we expected. That means more people heard the gospel in other parts of the world than, than would have if you hadn't given. That means we were able to raise all of our ministry categories for 2022. So youth ministry, children's ministry, worship ministry, missions, everything we do, we're gonna be able to do more of it this next year. We were able to order new streaming equipment. So lots of folks, probably most of you. First time they visit, quote unquote, our church is usually online now. Well, now they're going to see better and they're going to hear better. And hopefully that will lead more of them to hear the gospel and more of them to join our family. But even after all of that, we were left with surplus. And we believed as a staff, as a finance committee and a, a missions committee, we believed that it wasn't good stewardship of this surplus to just let it sit. So, we were able to bless some other groups and some other people in our community. I've shared some of this with some of you, but homeless folks, uh, vets with PTSD, underprivileged families in this part of Conroe, all got unexpected gifts, all got blessings from this church. In addition, there's an organization that is sending out freeze-dried food to pastors in third world nations, and they're able to take that food and, and reach their communities with it, and we were able to give a, a significant gift toward that organization too because of you, because of your giving. And we started, this is the one I'm really excited about, we started a campaign with an organization called RIP Medical Debt, hopefully you've heard about this already, uh, that the plan is when we're done with this campaign, there will be no medical debt in Montgomery County. Zero. So imagine your neighbor who a few years ago, he or his wife or his kid had to have surgery and they've been under this crushing debt ever since and one day they get a letter and it says your debt has been paid and then they find out the people of God did it. Do you think that's gonna open some doors for someone to come to know Christ? Right now we, we, we need $24,000 more to finish that campaign. So if you're able to help us with that, it's on our website, RIP Medical Debt. 
whether you help us financially or not, please pray that God would use it powerfully. Now, all of that's exciting, and I'm thrilled to tell you about it, but none of that is our purpose. None of that is what we're about. We're about lives changed. And whether we have, uh, you know, 800 on Sunday mornings or eight, what we're about is seeing lives transformed. And I believe lives get transformed not because I preach a sermon or because Robert or Nathan leads a song or because we start a program. Lives get changed because people invest in other people. They get changed through relationships. And we call them transforming relationships. When I get discouraged or when I just need to be reminded what we're all about, I sit down and I read through the the transforming relationship cards that y'all are filling out and telling me about teenagers who are investing in their classmates. Talking about retired folks who are like, okay, I'm gonna go across the cul-de-sac and meet these neighbors and get to know them and start praying for them. I'm hearing about you taking responsibility for your coworkers, your kid's teacher, the waiter at your favorite restaurant, the guy you work out next to, even maybe the friend you haven't talked to in years because y'all had words the last time. Uh, there, There are Bible studies popping up in neighborhoods led by members of this church. And they, they're coming to me and saying, that's my transforming relationship, Jeff. I'm inviting them to study the Bible at my house. Or just, you know, I'm showing up and, and helping him with his yard. Or I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of her kids. Or, or whatever the case may be, any way we can to show, I love you and I love you in the name of Christ. And the reason why that's our focus, that's our emphasis, is because we live in a lost and dying world. We live in a world with people who are desperately searching for what they don't know they're missing, which is Jesus, and they're not gonna meet him through one of my sermons. They're just not. No matter how good I try, no matter how hard I try to preach a great gospel sermon, they're not gonna hear it in that sermon. You know why? Because they're not gonna hear it. They're not gonna come to our church. They're not gonna click online. They're just not. They have no interest in it, but they know you, and you know Jesus, and you're their point of contact. And when they meet somebody who's just a real person, who loves them the way nobody else does and invests in them, that has an impact. That has a powerful impact. Now, not everybody, not everything that happened in 2021 was good. By my count, we had 17 members that passed away this last year, all wonderful people, all in the presence of Christ. Now we can rejoice for them, but I miss them. They're my friends. And they're, if you're new here and you like what you see, they're responsible for that. They, they built this. And so we're missing them. We're also still in a time in, in which, I mean, I, I think most of us are less afraid of COVID than we once were and hallelujah for that. But we're still in a position where we've got folks in hospitals and long-term care facilities that we can't go and see in person just because of the way things are. We've got hundreds of members on our rolls and we don't know if they're still staying away because of COVID or if they're staying away because they've joined other churches or if they're just staying away. So there's a lot going on that we're troubled about. And and for that reason, the staff and I, when we went away on our staff retreat and planned ministry for 2022, we decided that our goal, our our theme, our, our whole theme would be shepherding our congregation to fulfill the Great Commission. Because God has given every single member of this church to this church for a purpose. You're not customers. You're part of the family of God. And so part of shepherding God's family means we're gonna, we're gonna find creative ways to, to make sure those who are hurting know that they're cared for, they're being prayed for. 
Or if you're one of those people who we haven't seen in a couple of years, you're gonna get a contact from somebody in this church that says, what's going on in your life? Have you joined another church? Hallelujah, praise God, we're, we're on the same team. But if not, we want you back. We miss you, you're still part of this family. And, and we're gonna do what we have to do to find places for all those people God is bringing to us that they don't just come in and sit down a while and say, okay, I've I've been here a while, but I don't have any friends, I'm moving on. No, that they find their place in this family because God has brought them here. And part of that also is, is responding to your spiritual needs. You may remember if you were here last year, late in the year, we, we distributed a spiritual growth survey or questionnaire. And we wanna know how you were doing in your walk with Christ in three categories. Uh, connecting with God in worship, growing in Christ-like qualities, and reaching others with his love. That's our discipleship strategy, by the way. That's what we think all First Baptist members should be doing to grow in Christ. And what you told us through that survey is, yeah, we feel like we're connecting with God, we feel like we're growing, but we don't feel like we're reaching people. A lot of you said, I don't really know any lost people. I don't really have relationships with non-Christians. I don't, I don't have a habit of praying for the lost. I don't I don't feel confident in my ability to share the gospel. So part of our task as staff members, as ministers, is we we need to train and and equip you and encourage you and and put you in positions where you can succeed. Maybe even start some new programs that get you in position where you can create those relationships that become transforming. And I hope you'll take advantage of those and tell us about them. Now, last thing, what can you do? If we're, gonna, if we're trying to shepherd you toward the Great Commission, what can you do to help us out? Number one, you can love one another. That's the command over and over again in the New Testament, and we need that. I, I'll just be real transparent before you. I love being a pastor, and I love being pastor of this church, but the challenge of this church for me is all my pastoral career, I've pastored churches where I knew everybody. I mean, they were small enough that I could know everybody's name, and I, I could visit everybody that was in the hospital, and, and I loved doing that. And, and after almost six years here, I'm finally like, you know, I just can't do that. I just, I can't. It, the church is too big and it's getting bigger. So I need your help. I need for you, and this would be true no matter what, but I need for you, whenever you know that there's somebody who's been out a while, make sure you contact them. If you know that somebody's hurting, make sure you go over to their house and pray for them, or you call them and say, I'm praying for you, or you bring them a meal. And, and, and go further than that. Get to know the people God is bringing into our family. Because they're not looking for friendly people. They're looking for friends, and there's a difference. And that means every one of us needs to make it a point that this year I'm gonna make at least one new friend in this church. I'm gonna make room in my group for that person so they can find a place. Number two, number two, look for divine appointments. I believe this is the way God works. He puts opportunities in front of us. He puts people in front of us who are hurting, people who are questioning, people who are doubting, people who need what we have. And every day you have an opportunity to speak a word of encouragement, to comfort, to pray, to just be a friendly face. Don't miss those opportunities. Every day, wake up and say, Lord, show me the divine appointments you have for me today and let me not miss them by being too distracted, too self-centered, too busy. Help me to do what I'm called to do because that's how these transforming relationships start. And remember, why do we do this? We don't do this so the church will get bigger. It's not what it's about. 
I can die happy. I can die happy if this church never gets one bit bigger. We don't do it because we want God to love us more. Because trust me on this, God can never possibly love you more than he loves you right now. We do this because he died for us. Because his death bought our salvation. And we can't look at something like that and say, eh, that's nice. No, it changes us. And we have to share it. And we want others to get what we've got. See, this is gonna sound self-serving, but I mean it with all my heart. Some of you are involved in incredibly important work in your, in your secular workplace, and I'm so thankful for it. But there is nothing you will ever do that compares in importance to what God wants to do in your life through your church. And right now, as for me, I'm glad my church is First Baptist Conroe because I like these people. And I'm thankful that they let me be pastor and I enjoy worshiping with them and serving alongside them every day. So thank you. I'm excited about what's happened and I'm really excited about what's to come.